Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's guest is Tim Batt, who runs the Little Empire Podcast Network out of New Zealand, and he also does a very popular and excellent podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time with Guy Montgomery, who is a friend of the podcast, this podcast. Uh, so I had a really fun time talking to Tim. We talked about politics and and whitewashing and various other bits and pieces. He's a big fan of American politics, and I pushed him into to talk to thing to me about things that he hadn't necessarily formed ideas on, which is my favourite game. I really enjoyed chatting with him. If you are in Melbourne, I'm doing my show, Empire, at the Chinese Museum at 9.30 every night, uh, 8.30 on Sundays, Mondays off. It is a Chinese museum, so if you don't like the show, you can at least enjoy the the exhibits, really. It's it's a really fun space to, to be in, but it's not exactly an actual theatre. We have to sort of get all of our stuff out of the green room at the end of every night because uh, it's the ki- the kitchen of the museum. So that's always fun feeling like you're, you're working around the edges of the, the fringes of the Australian uh, uh, entertainment industry. But there's some incredible acts on there as well if you get a chance to see uh, Michael Workman, Luke Heggie, Cam Knight. They're all, uh, they're all sharing the dressing room with me, so I like them both as people and as performers, so you should go see them. Thank you, everybody who's given so much money to the Patreon. It's so nice. Uh, when I say so much money, I just mean any money. I, it's overwhelming to me that people are willing to uh, contribute to this podcast and contribute to what I do. It makes a real difference. Thank you. Uh, if you can't uh, contribute to the the podcast, if you can't buy me moments of freedom to do creative stuff, you can also help by telling people about the podcast or tweeting about it or telling your friends or even just congratulating my guests and telling them that you enjoyed what they do because what they do is pretty good and I like them to know that. I've been rambling for a little while. I'll let you get on with listening to this podcast with Tim. Email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com, Twitter at alliterative. You know the rest. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Uh, Who are you? What are you drinking? Uh, Hello, Alice. I'm Tim Batt from New Zealand, and at the moment I'm drinking a flat white, which is the um, original beverage of my people where I come from. It's a kind of tea. Yeah, sorry. I did kind of kill that, didn't I? I did recently have... And I've forgotten the name for it, but I went to Japan about a month ago and had a traditional tea ceremony. Oh, yes, that would be matcha that you would have yes, had. Yes, yes, it was. Powdered green tea. And I tell you what, that tea didn't, the taste didn't live up to the ceremony around it, I must say, but I don't think that's the point no. either. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was, I only got to go because my now fiance, it was her birthday, and so. Her sister-in-law got her that as a a late birthday present when we went to Japan. And so I kind of got to share in the gift, the two of us in this beautiful young woman who had like trained for years in how to do the tea ceremony properly. Were you pre or post engagement at that point? That was on the day of, and I think, yeah, that was pre by like a few hours. So it amped you up for it. Yeah. Or it made me serene. I don't know. Both. Were you nervous? Um, Do you know, everyone asked me that. I was, I think I was focused, but I actually don't think I was that nervous, to be honest. You were pretty sure she'd say yes. I was hopeful. One never likes to assume. Yeah. But um, I think in my head it was like, if it was going to be a no, it would be a not yet. And I would be okay with that. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, if you if you yeah, I'm a, I'm a big worst case scenario imaginer. I'm like, Same. can I take the worst case scenario? Okay, then I can do this thing. I think it's a good way to live. Yeah. People pick holes in that. They think it's pessimistic. I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's pessimistic because they think it's not quite risky enough or but I take enough risks. Yeah. They're calculated. Well, I mean, risks, risk. We're all going to die eventually. Mm-hmm. Calculated risks is the way to go about it. You don't have to be dumb just to have like a fun, exciting life. You don't yeah. have to just blind yourself to possible the consequences. The world is infinite. Pufferfish make beautiful gardens for their loved ones. That is a term of art I'm unfamiliar with. Is that like a proverb or is that no, just a thing that happens? it's just a thing that I saw a video of happening the other night. Like wow. tiny fish, f- puffer fish, they spend like a week, 24 hours a day, resting only for moments at a time. And they like make these incredible sort of beautiful sand gardens because they're not very beautiful as fish. Yeah. They're not very flashy or anything. Yeah. And so they make these incredible works of art. Wow. To lure women into their into their world. I think it's great. That's beautiful. And it's sort of like what comedians do. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> it, re- it reminds me of humans a lot. Like we, we often see animals mating rituals and they seem quite removed from us or disgusting. But it's like, yeah, that's what we do. Like yeah, put yeah, some yeah. nice clothes on and Yeah, who I mean everyone's haircut. like, Oh, who would work that hard? And you're like, people go into banking just <laughs> <laughs> to make it work. Just to make it work. <laughs> to get the stuff out. It just feels right, man. It just feels right. Uh so what have you been thinking about of late? I've been thinking about getting into banking. Um <laughs> I you know, the thing that's been rolling around in my head recently is um I'm gonna attempt to find a way to drill it. I've got a I've got a lot of nervousness around talking about this because I haven't quite articulated the subject out loud that well. That is exactly what I want from you. So it's kind of the big umbrella concept of it is how we're talking to each other at the moment. Um, I've always been quite fascinated with American politics in particular. It's just like kind of a hobby. And so particularly the last 18 months have been kind of like Christmas for me to watch. It's just been full on. Yeah. It's like watching your team go to the World Series just by virtue of, not that I'm a <laughs> Trump supporter, but just by virtue of how crazy yeah. everything's gotten. Um, and it's been fascinating it's to like watch. It's like watching your team go to the World Series and go batshit insane. Yeah, exactly. It's like watching the Red Sox win, you know, after a drought of, you know, a century. It's, ju- it's just what's happening is so wild in your particular niche interest that you can't help but be like, wow, this is this is crazy, but kind yeah. of... And as a New Zealand, you can sort of enjoy it because totally. no one's really going to drop bombs on you. Well, that's it. And in fact, all the rich people buying up our properties is like an escape plan. Oh, that's There's amazing. There's a lot of that going on. So anyway, I've kind of been thinking a lot about um, how we how we talk to each other, the citizenry, and um, particularly around things like gender issues and race issues and I guess social progressivism, if that's a mm-hmm. word, mm-hmm. and how that agenda sort of gets furthered because it feels like there's a lot of um, unhelpful dialogue yes. happening at the moment. Yes. And I think there is, particularly in my liberal performance bubble of friends who I love dearly and who I think's hearts are in the right places, I think there's um, a huge blind spot to seeing validity and an opposing point of view yeah yeah i think part of the problem is calling it i think uh, part of the problem is is the term progressive because it implies that the end point is natural 
that we're all headed inevitably towards this egalitarian Star Trek world where everyone is comfortable and happy and treats other people like people. But you look at the whole of human history and nobody has ever treated anybody equally. Like when we're fighting against nature here, it's not... It's not like, oh, catch up, you'll get on board eventually. Yeah. It's actually, we have to... It's not a given. Yeah. It's uh, this, dang, there's a great quote that I've completely forgotten by, <laughs> I think, Martin Luther King that Obama quoted when Trump was coming in to sort of placate the world. And it was, I, I, I'm completely paraphrasing, but it was about the course of justice being yeah. sort of like an up... It is an uptick, but it's not a straight path. Uh, like cool. it, 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 Yeah, I can't remember. But it's sort of saying that the broad stroke of human history is in a positive direction, but it is not a straight path. You know, yeah. it, is a, it is a graph that is a very squiggly line with a trend going up. Yeah, and it's hard to enjoy the things that we already have. Yeah, and, and it's also important to, like, um, not rest on that as well. It's things like, um, I'll give you a really small example. Uh, the, like, the term mansplaining is a real really grates me whenever I see and hear it and someone actually um, uh, used it on me online the other day and I was just like so uh, triggered by it. (laughs) I got so instantly like what do you like? Like, My biggest problem is we already have that word and it's called patronising which already implies the masculine as well. Well it does. Yeah it implies it but I guess it's not explicit enough for some people. And I actually think the term mansplaining probably has its use. Yeah. And, uh, oh my goodness, the food's just arrived, everyone. It looks fantastic. Yes. I've, I'm, I'll put a plug in for Thank Grub. You so much. It's amazing. It's brilliant. The, the term is, um, for my money, unnecessarily gendered and as a result kind of gets... It gets thrown around in places maybe where it, sh- it shouldn't and sort of loses the strength of it but allows people to feel real smug when they use it. Yeah, there's absolutely situations where men feel entitled to be to express their opinion just because they're men. Yeah, But at yeah, the same time, at the same time, to tell someone that they can't have an opinion on something just because they're a man... Well, or that they can't try to explain their position. That's yeah. it. And that's kind of, that, that's really the only place where I'm taking issue with it is um, uh, like the particular uh, recent example when I got sort of accused of it online was, it was just uh, someone made a comment on something and I just said, oh, um, it's, it's possibly related to this thing. Like it, was, it was about The Simpsons <laughs> and it was about the dress that Marge Bouvier is wearing. And how cool it is, this pink Chanel dress. So important um, political... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> ...discourse. Absolutely. But it's, it was just sort of, um, a mate of mine was just talking about how, how cool the colour pink is and um, listed all these cool things that were pink and um, Marge Simpson's uh, dress was on there. And I said, uh, it is a cool dress and it was um, referencing Jackie O's dress that she was wearing when JFK got assassinated. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, so uh, trivia. yeah, but then the um, person who was started the online discussion that is so sweet. Alice is holding the microphone so I can cut the toast. <laughs> I reckon I can do it one hand. It's right. very sweet of you, though. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was mansplaining, um, me pointing that out, a uh, sort of footnote in history, because she already knew that. And it's like, that's fine if you already knew that. And, and sure, th- you could call that patronizing, but I just don't. 
or you could call it like enjoying and trying to participate in a conversation. Yeah, you could, you could. Um, so I just, I think, and I think that the reason why I get so um, miffed about that is that kind of, that does have an effect, which is when you get dudes who are real like men's rights activists and fuckos. Can I say that on Yes, here? you can say whatever you like. There are tons of fuckos out there looking for ammunition like that. And so when you kind of give them those those own goals like that, it just feels kind of detrimental to the cause. And now I really could be accused of mansplaining and I would wear that because now I'm telling feminists how to be feminists. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think this is part of the problem is that is that uh, these things do have an effect. And of course you shouldn't have to worry. You shouldn't have to worry about how people react to the truth. And there's an argument for just like, I'm just going to tell you the truth brutally and then you have to deal with it. But like, we're, uh, as comedians, you know that you can say something one way and change two words and it, it turns out from a joke to not a joke or not totally. a joke to a joke. Yeah. So how you phrase something impacts how someone hears it. Absolutely. And, and even whether they can understand it at all. Mm-hmm is changed by what analogies you use and the frame of reference and the way you say it and the language you use and yeah. the tone you use. I and remember being with a friend and I nearly got run over by a car that came around the corner. Uh, and he he said, hey, watch how you're driving. And the lady who was at the wheel looked really worried. And he went, you dumb bitch. And you could just see in her face that she shifted from like, a learning moment yeah. to a I'm the victim here, yeah. learning nothing moment. You shut everything it down. It just shut right? it down yeah, completely. Totally. How could it not? And you don't encounter a, an aggressor and you're like, cool, what could I learn from this? Yeah, yeah. It, it just changes. Gentleman? Yeah, it just changes everything rather than like, let's all work together. Yeah. No one's willing to concede ground. And I think a lot of those decisions around language and tone and that sort of thing for like comedians it's um it's that whole thing about uh power power relationships who's sort of um in a heightened or privileged position just by virtue of how we've sort of decided to structure society at the moment and things like that because i totally think that's valid and it's sort of like i guess this is why i get so angry about these things because there are real and very important battles to fight at the moment. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of squabbling over very small stuff. Um, there's a lot of my friends who kind of will encounter certain words and they go, oh shit, can I say that out loud? Can I say that? And it's like, that's a that's a word. Like, there are some concepts which are probably really problematic, but yeah. I don't... <laughs> I wanted to go and see Ghost in the Shell the other day. No one wanted to come with me because it's this movie oh, that's... I really li- want to see that. Me too. But um, you can't like go there as a car-carrying liberal because of the whitewashing that was inherent in the casting choices. And it's like, that's a totally important issue and one that we should talk about and stuff. But um, I don't know. I think there's a danger of a mob mentality of leftists kind of all working each other up into a frenzy and making really hard and fast rules around what people are and aren't allowed to do. Yeah. Because by me being excited about that really seminal anime film being revamped and made into a like a, a um, real life, you know, action movie with Scarlett Johansson, I'm I'm like a bit of a villain because well I want to see it. It's it's it is a, a Japanese property, but in the original, she's a cartoon. <laughs> like well, yeah, there is that. She's not a real person. It's not. 
it's not something to get worked up. I think when it was done with the um, with the Lion King was even more sort of interesting when people object to the fact that uh, Simba was being played by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who was a white boy, and that people sort of said, well, it sh- he should have been played by by an African American. I'm sympathetic I mean, but to he's, the. Um, he's a lion. Yeah, I don't know about the Lion King <laughs> one so much. I haven't delved into that. I'm totally sympathetic to the um, conversation and the and the fight, especially for Asian actors getting cast properly and getting these good roles that really I feel they should be getting. And I think Ghost in the Shell is probably a perfect example where that should have gone to a Japanese actor. But I mean, with the movie being made, I just. Um, this whole thing that you're kind of a villain if you go and watch it now or get excited about it because you're a fan of the franchise is like an interesting well, look, outgrowth I mean, of that. It's a, it's a blockbuster, right? Yeah, well, it's supposed to be. It's not doing too well, unfortunately. But Which means they made a miscalculation, but part of the calculation would be that they need a leading star. Like, this is not the kind of movie that you can make without... Well, this is, this is the counter-argument because... Um, Thank you. Shoot, I wish I could remember which um, movies they quoted, but there was like two huge blockbuster kind of Marvel-esque films that people were putting up in this um, Facebook discussion I was on where they were like, look at this incredibly diverse crowd and this made like a billion dollars. There can't have been that many movies that made a billion dollars. Like, oh, Rogue One, you know? Like very diverse crowd, um, casting of... Unknowns. Unknown, well, yeah, yeah for Star us. Star Wars. <laughs> but it shows you it can be done. Like that Star yeah, Wars, but it can be done with a known shell. with a known property where you've already got you know billions of fans. I think a good movie is a good movie though as well. Like if Ghost in the Shell was amazing and had a, a Japanese actor at the helm playing the major, I think um, you know it would do well. Yeah, sure, um, it would be it would do well, but not this kind of you know on every bus, every you know building. Yeah, well, I guess that's the thing. I I I would actually push back against that myself. I reckon I reckon that is the direction we need to go. My issue isn't the people who think that that should have that role should have gone to a Japanese actor because I agree with them but it's the sort of um, the making of a villain of anyone who then wants to get excited about it and this sort of witch hunt on anyone who wants to I agree with you that it probably should have been cast in that way but I understand why it wasn't and I think you know yeah using one example is a really re- one example of something that's relatively distant is a really good way to not actually deal with things in your real life. Say that again. W- using one example that's relatively different to get angry about mm. is a really good way to, I feel like, waste juice on things that are. <laughs> I mean, you can only very marginally affect that with your ticket sale, right? And if everyone gets together, we can ruin that movie. But surely you'd be better off, you know. Helping out a mate. It's interesting. You've painted me into the corner of my mate, so I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. But I actually do believe this. But the the assumption that it does need to be a well-known Western face to sell a blockbuster movie, I think is misguided. But I also think even if it was true, that's the thing that needs to change, Mm. which I think is where people are coming from, that we need to change that assumption. Um, And so the way that you do that is by shedding light on the kind of whitewashing of Asian-themed movies that are being led by a white hero. Yeah. Um, what was the Matt Damon one that came out? Oh, Great the Wall, Great Wall of China. Yeah, I didn't see that. but uh, I didn't see that, but phenomenon. everyone in China saw that movie. <laughs> it was made thing. for that audience. And this is the brilliant thing that you're seeing now is 
as China becomes more sort of uh, liberalized in its markets and is getting a, a stronger middle class, that film market is critical now. The Warcraft movie lost so much money in the States but made so much money globally because of China. I love that movie so much. Did you see it? I didn't even see it. And I like played Warcraft. I love a, a dumb bit. movie. Like I re- I've, ne- I've never played Warcraft. I had no idea who anyone was. I loved it. It's awesome. I love a dumb action movie. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. Particularly a dumb action movie that borders on fantasy or science fiction. What's the best one you've seen recently? Last um, sort of yeah. Dumb action or or yeah, science action. fiction? Because I well, actually both. I liked Arrival very much. Yes. I liked the aliens in that. I really. I enjoyed how they were sort of half octopus, half elephant. I um, saw that on the plane and I kind of was drifting in and out because oh, I had a sleeping Oh, that is not the best movie for no, that. I want to watch it again though. You should definitely watch it again. It's a lot of fun. And what about dumb action? Ooh. Are you pumped about Fast and Furious? I'm always pumped about Fast and the Furious. I love the Fast and the Furious movies. Though I don't like the idea that Dominic Toretto is going to betray his family for Charlize Theron. They'll so figure I'm sure it they'll out. justify it in they the will. end. And, and The Rock will fix it. So amazing seeing the escalation of that franchise. Oh, it's incredible. Based on the trailer now, it looks like they might be either starting or preventing World War Three in this one. For somebody who, like Vin Diesel, he's not a good actor, but he's just managed to nail it. Like, he's just managed to make of himself a great success. I reckon Vin Diesel is amazing. You cannot begrudge him his success. It's have incredible. You s- have you seen him sing? No, is it good? There's videos of him on YouTube. He he is a man with um, a very gentle soul. <laughs> I feel like he might write poetry and stuff. <laughs> Honestly. The, Do you the, think it would be good poetry? I would hate <laughs> to prejudge. I would love to read it. I would love to read Vin Diesel's poetry. I Yeah, I'm torn between Vin Diesel and The Rock. One of the, my favourite things about the Fast and the Furious movie was the fact that they... They did like Lord of the Rings camera work, so Vin Diesel was a lot closer to the camera than The Rock, so that they could face off against each other and look as though they were the same size, but the eye lines didn't quite match up. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> so they just use forced perspective. Yeah. How do you do that in a fight? Well, I don't think they did it in fights. I think they probably had stunt men in the fights, or maybe they didn't ever directly face off except in right. cars. But when they were having when they're they're having arguments, yeah. like face-to-face, bald <laughs> head against bald head. Um, I love it. That was that. Alice, I'm fascinated by how you're going to solve the problem of eating your breakfast yeah. while talking. It's a dilemma, but I'll manage. It's such a, it looks like such an intricate sort of um yeah this is why you asked for simple toast yeah exactly but i it's still sourdough though so there's still a, a bit of hard work to be done that's how you know you've earned it yeah why don't i take on a heavy philosophical discussion by myself and you jump in after a few mouthfuls that sounds good i don't know what it will what be have you been, i mean you've been wrestling with this this idea of how we make a discussion productive yeah I think part of the problem is that we're not talking to each other. We're talking to ourselves. I'll give you a good issue, actually, that I reckon you can see it quite clearly in, is, um, is the abortion issue. And mm. that um, there is a perception, I think, by people um, who believe in reproductive rights for women, of which I am heavily a part of that party, mm. that there is like there is um, 
No, validity is the right idea, but it's like there's not even an argument for an opposing point of view. And I've always, like, from quite a young age, sort of um, kind of looked into the other side of things, and especially with that issue. And I kind of get it, and I get that it's coloured and informed by a religious context in most people who are on the um, so-called pro-life side of things, which I think is a term that's just so fucking stupid. But anyway, I can recognize that they have a point of view which is that they feel they're defending a life or like you know a human entity that cannot defend itself so they feel like they're stepping in to protect it against this thing um, which is going to kill it now I don't agree with their point of view at all and I never have Um, but I understand that there is another point of view and I think that just with conversations that I have with a lot of my mates and stuff it's like that there isn't even an, an argument to yeah, oppose it. Yeah, that you are ridiculous and stupid to believe that. Exactly. Which I don't think you necessarily are. I mean, it, it's a very fraught question where life begins. and It's a genuine moral quandary. And ju- just because you don't agree with the other people doesn't mean they don't have a point whatsoever. Yeah. if you, I mean, if you genuinely believe that a fetus is a human being with, you know, and that if you don't, that it has as many rights as a human being as you do or I do, but it can't defend itself. Mm. Then imagine a similar situation where it's somebody who's severely disabled. A, a person who's been born is about 15 years old, mm. severely intellectually disabled, can't engage with the world in any kind of meaningful way, constantly on life support. For the people who are on the religious side of the pro-life, as you say, it's a strange term, but mm. it's like that. It's like defending that person's right to live. Yeah, against somebody who's like, well, they're Which they're not we going to live. They're not going to live without the support of the mother anyway. So yeah. getting rid of it, you know. Which we actually do now. Really, we ju- we kind of, and this is um, interesting for me because my fiance is a GP. So like every now and then, over sort of a wine, I'll kind of like pick your brains about her thoughts on this. Because there's a there's going to be just by virtue of the age groups in society at the moment, I think a lot of these questions we're going to have to talk about more around do we just blindly extend life Mm. without thinking about um, how much it costs or how many very, very old people are going to be around or like we don't consider euthanasia really in the West whatsoever. No. As a, as a, as a, um, yeah, sort of a legitimate a, a course valid, of action. Exactly, yeah. a, a decision that we can make, and I think that's going to change just by virtue of like resources. Almost, yeah, we're going to be taking care of so many very ailing old people soon because the baby boom is coming up. That it's going to shape the way that we think about the ethics on those questions, which I think is super interesting. Well, my friend Dean Mays, who was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's he was a neonatal intensive care nurse for a while. Man, it's full on. And that's that decision every day of mm. like these are, you know, very small, very vulnerable lives who without your support will not live. Mm. Without medical intervention, they will not live. And if they do live day by day, it starts to become, a, well, their, their quality of life will go down totally. by this much. If we don't get this done, if they don't get this much o- oxygen to their brain by yeah. tomorrow, their There's life like will be. There's like a 5% chance that they won't be completely. Yeah, completely. Intellectually y- handicapped. So... Those are the decisions that they're making every day and it's costing, you know, thousands of dollars to keep these children alive, you know, every hour. What's the call you make then? Mm. And I think for people who are abortion activists, like 
presenting it like that, it becomes a more a less clear-cut issue. If you think of these these children outside of the womb as though they were inside the womb, which by all rights most of them should be, yeah, you know, like when you can, I think for for the religious side of it, they can just imagine those fetuses as children or as these tiny kind of helpless lives. Totally, yeah, and, again, and I mean they are human, so it's. It's interesting that you say, um, yeah, making a, a less clean-cut thing. Because I don't know if this is every generation or if it just seems to be um, more so now. But I guess it's tied up with this phenomenon of how we talk to each other and, you know, sort of everyone's a bigot if they um, don't use the correct language and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. People are quite trigger-happy with certain terms of accusing people of... Um, being villains around the place when they might just be mistaken or ignorant. Which is a kind of educational um, bigotry in itself. It's a kind of a hierarchy that you've imposed on someone else saying that you... It's a classist thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... Yeah, that is the hypocrisy of it. Not all the time, but, like, with a lot of the conversation that's happening, particularly online, it's, like, quite hilarious that people can't see that they're doing the very thing they're accusing other people of doing. But this whole thing of um, that we really need to see people very two-dimensional at the moment. People really are public figures of uh, either villains or heroes. There's no, they're really, we seem very incapable as a species of having people in the in-between, people as being grey. It's uh, like Obama, total hero. He was, a, he was a real good president and I, I would argue a, a really good man, but not without, you know, blood on his hands and having made some really fucked calls. And The um, nature of being the president of the US is the moment you step into that seat, you're a mass murderer. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just by virtue of being there, you're going to make some, some life-ending decisions for civilians in mm. other places. Um, but on top of that, there's even stuff that are kind of like unforced errors, like his treatment of whistleblowers and how they treated leakers and information coming out of there, which is like, it wasn't a given that the Obama administration needed to go that draconian with how they treated people leaking information to the public. That's a decision that they made, which I think is pretty evil. But he's a hero because he was like, you know. On our side. He was on our side, and for most issues he was. But this is the thing, we can't see the grey. And, like, Trump is an absolute villain. Like, nothing he does could be held up in any kind of positive light. And it's dangerous that that's bled through to the news now. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's worrying because it makes it difficult to deal with people like that. If he's incomprehensibly insane and villainous and just... You know, everything he says is mad. Nothing he says makes sense. He's yeah. completely incoherent. And you see a lot of this in the kind of liberal side f- coverage of it. They'll yeah. only ever show him when he's talking like a toddler, which or he does. Or even in the news now. But like, that's how the news covers him as well. Yeah. And he does seem like a dangerously erratic human being. But you, you, if you don't accept and acknowledge the appeal that he has as something other than, oh, it's just white racists that want to take their country back mm. I think there's that's part of it but I think okay here's here's a thing this is this may not follow but I think America has never been willing to talk about the fact that it is incredibly unequal and that it has incredible class problems and one of the reasons it's been able to avoid talking about class is because it's had 
class mainly stratified along race lines. Mm. But they don't talk about class, they talk about race yeah. as a proxy. Nice, yeah. But I it means... Sort of like that, but yeah, you're right. It means now when you have these really poor white people, but they've been told that white people are rich and black people are poor. Yeah. They feel like they've had their rights taken away from totally. them, their rights that are inherent to whiteness, because that's the narrative they've been told, is that white people are rich and black people are poor. And if they're not rich... Yeah, and not even their rights necessarily, but, like, their kind of agency or their individual struggle is, like, not valid. Yeah. It's like, no, my life is shitty. No, it isn't. You're a white person. Your life's fine. It's like, no, everyone I know is on drugs. I don't have a job. I'm about to get evicted. Yeah. And then, and then, well, if I'm, ha- I used to have these things. Everyone's telling me I used to have these things. Then who else, who's, t- who's taking them away from me mm. other than, you know, black people and immigrants and... And you're right, because the funny thing about that is it's, what, it's other white dudes in suits who get real good at whipping up frenzy among the lower classes so we're all kind of squabbling I know that sounds very conspiratorial and sounds like a Alex Jones call to arms but there is I don't think you need a conspiracy theory to explain why rich people manoeuvre to stay rich yeah yeah like day yeah. to day they're not making evil cackling decisions they're preserving their jobs they're making profit margin decisions the only way they can measure success is by movement on a graph there's no success measured in happiness or totally anything You're and they'll just right. make everyday decisions that are going to end up with and the end results are evil but they're just kind of it's that th- they're almost just following orders and yeah. the orders are coming from next quarter's report we're going to have to rethink that eh like do you think we've waited too long on climate change? Do you think yes. we've fucked? Yes, what but I think we'll survive. There? So, I mean, this is part of it. I think everyone's making the, the decision that as a species we'll sort of survive. We're like cockroaches. You know, Venice has managed to stay above water by just basically putting balloons in its basement for the last 200 years. Um, I think we think we'll be okay one way or another. But the problem is that we always think we're the ones that are going to be okay when we as a species will probably be all right, we'll manage, more or less. Some people will get real fucked in the process though, huh? Yeah. And it's always the the most sort of poor and vulnerable people whose houses will get destroyed and cities will go. Yeah, Aisha Tyler was talking about um, The Walking Dead and how she doesn't particularly like zombie narratives. The idea, you know, the world-ending post-apocalyptic narratives because she said, in some places, the world has ended already. Like, to pretend it hasn't is just such privilege. Like, if you're in Haiti, if you're in Somalia, if you're in the Sudan, your world is finished. Mm. You're di- it's like, you are in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. And it's no fun. Yeah, it's not a cool, sexy adventure. Yeah. Yeah. But we should still be able to make zombie films, I think, because some of them are <laughs> real fun. I bloody love a virus movie. I was trying to think about why I like them so much recently. I think it's something to do with the. Um, I, I, I tried to see Ghost in the Shell the other day, but I got the time wrong. So I, went, I ended up seeing the movie Life, um, which is Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal in space with some people, and they discover a, a life form in, on Mars and manage to kind of awaken it. And then it starts um, acting badly. And uh, 
the thing that pissed me off about it is the movie had such potential, but then the life form that they found, they started to give it like a face and stuff, and it just looked real dumb. And I love, <laughs> I love evil entities that don't have any. Like the best monster is the one you can create in your head, right? Yeah. I think that's why I like virus movies because you never see it because you can't. I haven't seen it, but I'm imagining like a real El- Elmer Fudd face on it. <laughs> it was. I'm cra- the spoiler alert for anyone who's going to see Life, and also don't. It's not that I was disappointed, but the ending's quite good, so I won't reveal that. But the the life entity thing, which they call Calvin, is it ends up being this sort of um, almost squid-looking thing that navigates around the ship. And they kind of give it this face in a few shots that you see, which looks reminiscent of uh, almost like an angry bird or a, I'm trying to think, something with like an evil looking face, like a bat maybe or... Bats or lizards, some lizards look pretty angry. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Lizardy bat know, bird. They've kind of unnecessarily given it like an eyes and sort of a beak looking mouth thing and it's just like oh man <laughs> it was so much cooler when it was this sort of invisible enemy stalking them around the ship it's always mm. so much better as soon as you put a face on it it's like that's dumb yeah i i don't pot- i i don't like scary movies very much i like exciting movies but i like to know that things are going to be okay because i didn't watch tv as a kid uh, or movies or anything like that, and so I'm still very. Do you have trouble with the lines of real life and make believe? A little bit. You see stuff on screen and you take it on board a bit too much. You're in the moment. Certainly, I get very like, uh, I get very absorbed by a movie, and I get very invested in the characters. And like, if if I mean, if I, I'll, my heart rate will go up if I'm reading an exciting scene in a book. So in a movie, I'm just like gripping the edges of the seats. It's. You got too much empathy. Some people like that. Can't go yeah. to horror movies. Too I, much empathy. No, no, no horror movies. No, no, I can't do them. This just happy, fun, Fast and the Furious, Jason Statham in the <laughs> Transporter Three. When it's so ridiculous, it may as well be a cartoon because it's so. I saw big. John Wick recently. That was good. Oh, the second one. The second one. Yeah. Dang, I haven't seen that yet. Is it lives up to the hype? Excellent. Yes, it is. It's good. It's, it made me very happy. They've got their play. I, I'm fine with scary movies and even horror movies, and I quite enjoy them. I hate seeing people get hurt in real life, but I can't. I think I've got a good enough <laughs> drawing of the of the lines in my head that I can sort of see it. On I do. I I wince and stuff if it's a particularly gory scene or something, but I'll still be able to kind of um, reconcile it in my head as a good makeup job. But uh, you know, I absolutely can't do that. But I'm quite good in real life. Oh, really? Mm. With saying stuff? I mean, not to the point of... There are some people who are into, like, morbid shit. Like, no, looking no, no, at no. morbid shit online, which has always been... So, no, so that's not what I mean at all. No, I can't watch that. But do you mean more in, like, crisis situations? Yeah. Like, if someone gets If someone's actually sort of hurt, I'm fine. I'm not mm. horrified by bodily functions of any kind, including bleeding. But, yeah, it's... If I... Yeah, I just feel very... Ugh, I can't... I, ugh, I can't handle it. It's an Very interesting. Very inarticulate there, but it's it's a visceral reaction. It's it's such a weird part of the human condition that that morbidness, because it is real prevalent. I think it's yeah. you know it's in everyone a little bit, and it's just how much of it sort of comes out. But we're we're fucked up, man. Because we're generally so good at following the rules, humans are. 
I often think about this. It's so crazy to like, if you look at a highway, especially in somewhere like LA, like a multi-lane highway, you just look at it and you go, this only works because we, everyone just has agreed to go, yeah, okay, cool, we'll follow the rules. Yeah, and road road signals, like the lines on the road that we all have agreed that that's a language we understand They're and will obey. Yeah, and like if you cross them, like you have an ability to cross them and it blows my mind that so few people decide to, to just fuck around and be like, oh, a red light, eh, it's just a light. I've got a light in my house. It doesn't dictate how I move around my house. Why wouldn't I just go through it? It blows my mind that so few people make that decision. Like, we're <laughs> I reckon we're so much less dynamic than we think we are. We are, we, yeah, we do. I mean, I think a good example is how how comedy audiences behave. Mm. Like, people come into my room and they'll sit up the front and I'll say, oh, thanks for sitting up the front, you're brave. And they'll go, oh, they told us to. They're just... Comedy only works because we adhere to the rules. Because all comedy is is surprising people. And that, I think that's why it's such a powerful thing for humans because it's it's like the driving thing but someone's swerving and you're like, holy shit, that person's not acting like the rest of us. You can only really crack someone up by surprising them. You set up a concept or a pattern and then you subvert it. And that's humour, really, isn't it? Yeah. You break it down. And it only works because everyone's following the rules so much most of the time that it's so shocking to see someone not. Oh, man, I ha- heard this conversation about I- I- avocados the other day. And it's tr- because I think... Light on me, else it seems heavy. <laughs> most of the people who I ever talk to are sort of comedians. And so I have... And I haven't been in an office really since I was a lawyer, but I occasionally now go in and write jokes for a television show. I don't know you're a lawyer. I was a lawyer, What yes. kind of law? Uh, I, I did uh, real estate, uh, corporate property wow. law and intellectual property law. Yeah, it was not... It was not um, a lot of people during that time would say, why are you here? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, I haven't been there. I haven't been in an office and then I'd forgotten that harmless chat that people do. That Harmless sense? is such a funny word for you to pick. Just I would call it inane. Inane, that sort of social grease of just basically what they're saying to each other is we're both here, let's yeah. let's not kill each other, you know. Yeah. I'm a person, you're a person, let's make our salad at the same bench. Yeah. In, in something other than resentful silence. But I'd forgotten that because I, you know, my interactions mostly are with my friends, people I, I tend to go past... I don't tend to do light chat. I tend to sort of go straight to like, oh, what's <laughs> just because Maybe I'm... Maybe that's a reflection more on you. ...a weird ideas nerd. But there was like a full-on, like, 15-minute chat about avocado ripeness. And I was filling my water bottle for 15 minutes. Just, just okay, riveted. Okay, let's not dig into why it took you a quarter of an hour to fill a water bottle. No, I don't know, just because I was... Wa- I just wanted to keep listening to this amazing avocado chat. Just uh, how they managed to wring so much content out of something... S- you know, one of them at the end, the kind of the moral of the story was like, oh, well, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Taoism hidden in this tale of avocado ripeness. That's all they'd been saying for the past 15 minutes. Like, just this is how avocados are. This is the world we live in. It's so interesting that, eh? Because I feel like um, you and I are probably a little bit similar with this, that we, we enjoy having a, a bit of a think about things, probably um, a bit too often. In those kind of situations, I used to work for the tax department 
for for a, f- a few years when I got out of, first got out of high school. So I'm intimately uh, familiar with those. You're judging me for having been a lawyer. I'm not judging. I was just curious about it. Didn't um, match up. But those conversations that happen in offices without wanting to blow it completely out of proportion, that comes from somewhere and it also has a consequence. You know, like if, if we're talking about avocados for 15 minutes, we're not talking about what's happening in our community or talking about how to improve the lives of people who are having a real rough time at the moment or just mulling over some philosophical concept together. And it feels like all that stuff's real off limits, particularly with co-workers. And I get why, because you don't want to create You don't want to create tension. Oh man, I got in so much trouble when I was at a law firm in a kitchen during lunchtime. What I thought was not a controversial thing i thought it was an interesting thought experiment right which is that the catholic church is against abortion and currently you can take a child i think from about six months and put them in an incubator and they'll survive so why is not the catholic church and i say three months is the age beyond which it's considered a late-term abortion it's a difficult thing why is the catholic church not investing in incubator technology so that then they, they can take you know pregnant needy women and then the women could have the children, the Catholic Church could have the children and turn them into priests or whatever because they're running out of priests. I thought it was an interesting line of thought. <laughs> yeah. It shut down the kitchen. Like, just so many people were so uncomfortable. And my brother, who was at the same law firm as me at the time, just, like, took me by the elbow and walked me out. And I was like, what? What have I done? Especially law. I thought lawyers would have to, like, have a bit of a slightly philosophical mind. Have to think of creative things. and No, you're just not allowed behaving. to talk about difficult things that is a pretty fucked up thought though i, mean, I like I that mean, you went there why is it fucked up everyone's getting what they want the women do, don't have to have children that they don't want the church doesn't have to have abortions in the world that it doesn't want it's solving two problems it feels like a um and as a person who dealt with property law you'll find this interesting it feels like an ownership <laughs> issue to me <laughs> that we're kind of treating the uh the baby is uh, a piece of property that gets moved from the mother who doesn't want it into the Catholic Church. But I guess we have things like wardships, which is sort of that, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, the mother doesn't care. She was happy for it to die. Mm. Or not exist, if you, depending on how you articulate. This is an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting thought experiment, but apparently it was no appropriate office chat. It just depends what office you're in. That's yeah. all. You were just in the wrong office. Well, it's in the wrong office. I need to go into another office. Where where can people find you online, Tim? Um, they can find me at Tim underscore Bat, B-A-T-T, on Twitter. Um, I've got a Facebook page, f- uh, which is facebook.com slash Tim Bat Comedian, which I just really put gigs up. And um, that's that's where I live. And your show is at Kaz Rytops. Yes, it is at the moment. Yep. Um, Kaz Rytops, Dirty Secrets Bar in Melbourne. And uh, it's going for like another week. At what time? Oh, I've got to fly somewhere. It's at 8.15, I think, except for Friday and Saturday. And then it's at 6.15. But if you go oh to timbat, timbat.co.nz, go, actually go there. Because that's got my Facebook and my Twitter and my gigs. and It's got everything. And you does. do a podcast yourself. I do. I do a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time with Guy Montgomery, who's uh, been on this podcast before. Very funny man. And we watch and review the same movie again and again every week uh, for a whole year. And this year we're doing our final year and we're doing We Are Your Friends, which is a Zac Efron movie. You're a braver man than I am, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Just stupid. 
just no. Don't mistake the two. The two can be the same thing. I'm not saying you're not stupid, but I am saying you are also brave. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alice.